why don't you guys find your seats and go with me to the book of Exodus. Uh, We are in Exodus chapter 6 today, and if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Our ushers are coming around. We want you to have one in front of you so you can just get their attention, and uh, uh, you can uh, have that one. If you don't own a Bible, it is a gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. We love to study it together, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. Uh, You can read the Scripture there, take notes if you like. We are in Exodus chapter 6 And uh, we're actually going to finish the entire chapter today. Just to remind you, uh, God has given a really big job to Moses. He's He's the one that has to go before Pharaoh, and then he's going to have to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And so far, uh, let's be honest, what we've seen out of Moses, he's not been doing so hot at this job, okay? So he's kind of struggling with God's plan here, and and if we're honest, the more we look at Moses and the way that he's been responding and and his attitude and all this, we're kind of left wondering, like, why did God choose this guy? Why why did God want Moses uh, to be his instrument for this big job? I think there's some encouraging lessons for us. I know that uh, we don't necessarily have the same job that Moses does, but listen, listen, uh, God has called us to be a part of his mission, and he wants to use us. This is why we've been saying all year that we want to love Christ, but we also want to live sent because God has sent you right here, right now for a reason. He has a purpose for your life. He sent you here, where you live, where you work, the people that you're surrounded with every day. The question is, do you do you understand, do you recognize that you have an opportunity today to impact those people, the people that are right around you, you have, an, you have an opportunity to impact their lives for all of eternity. That's crazy, isn't it? The, the, the people that are in your family, your spouse, your kids, the, uh, the, the people in your neighborhood, the people in your small group, your, your, your coworkers, all of these people. Really, it boils down to this. You have one job. One job to make disciples. Are you doing that? Are you, are you making disciples? Are you, think, think, think about this, are you being intentional about trying to make somebody, pick one, pick one of those people that, that, that are surrounded in your sphere of influence, pick one of those people, are you intentionally trying to make them into a disciple of Jesus? Like if they don't know Jesus, that means just kind of helping them understand and trying to clarify the gospel and, and help them get to the point where they realize they need to trust him for salvation. If it's somebody that already does know Jesus, then it means just kind of coming alongside of them and helping them grow and follow Jesus more closely and help others grow in this as well. Are you doing this? Who who are you intentionally uh, trying to make into a disciple? That's a big job. But God wants to use you. And the thing that I want to impress upon you is that is an undeserved privilege, isn't it? Isn't that crazy and awesome uh, that God would would give us real reason to live and and that he would want to uh, use us and choose us to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves? Is that not awesome? What I want to encourage you, I I think we need to be reminded and motivated by the grace of God this morning. Because here's what the grace of God does. First of all, when we realize that this is something that we don't deserve to be a part of, that really humbles us. 
and, and it keeps us from thinking too highly of ourselves. But I think it also encourages us. And it keeps us from uh, falling into doubt and discouragement and even giving up. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like I'm kind of all over the place on that spectrum. Like one minute I am like, you know, my pride just motivates me to want to go do something great for God. And, 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 and I, you know, in some ways it is for God in a lot of ways, to be honest. A lot of it is because I just want to be noticed and, and I don't want to get the recognition for that. And, and I get a really big head and start thinking that I'm awesome. And I start making it all about me. And then the next minute I'm like down in the dumps and I'm like, oh, I can't do this. And I don't know. I don't really know why I'm doing it. I, I, I just feel like giving up. I feel like quitting. I, I, I kind of feel like I'm back and forth on those. Do you know the reason that that happens to me? The reason that happens, and if you're like me, the reason that's happening to you is because we're thinking about ourselves too much. And stop thinking about ourselves at all and really start looking up and thinking about who the Lord is. And when we see him, it kind of it, it puts us into perspective. And, and what it does is it, it, it humbles us because I realize I, I don't deserve this. I don't have any reason to boast. But it also... Um, motivates me and encourages me to live sense because I want others to know him and experience his grace too. Here's the, here's the big idea that we're going to look at this morning here in Exodus chapter 6. If you're taking notes, note this. God chooses us even though we don't deserve it. And he uses us even when we struggle. God chooses you even though you don't deserve it. And he uses you even when you struggle. Man, I'm telling you, that ought to flatten you and your pride. I mean, that ought to lay us out like, man, I just, I, I don't deserve this at all. But it also ought to lift your head and just encourage you and, and, and fill you with energy and passion to live sent for his glory. It's God's grace. That's what we're going to see here. Now, let, let, let's look at this. Exodus chapter 6, this is the moment you have all been waiting for. Uh, I realize from the beginning of uh, our study in the book of Exodus, you have been waiting with abated breath for this moment that we were going to get to Exodus chapter 6 and we were going to get to the genealogy of Moses. And so I'm going to do my best here, okay? I'm going to pick up starting in verse 10, and uh, we're going to read through the rest of the chapter here. Follow along with me. He says this, So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Okay, here we go. You ready for this? Verse 14. These are the heads of, is he really doing this? He, he's reading this whole thing. Okay, here we go. Uh, These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanuk, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, Shammai, by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izar, Hebron, Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. This is getting harder. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi, the clans of the Levites, according to their generations. Check this out, verse 20. Amram took as his wife, Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. Got that one. That wasn't hard. 
Uh, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izar, Korah, Nepheg, Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, and the daughter of the daughter of Aminadab, and the son, or, excuse me, the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Asar, Elkanah, Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. Whew. We made it. All right. Thank you. Let's keep going. Verse twenty-six. These, these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? So if you have ever done a Bible reading plan and read through the book of Exodus, that's the part you skipped over altogether, isn't it? Like, we, we, we don't um, normally, like, go looking for this, you know? Like, I'm, I'm just having a bad day. I feel like I just need to read a genealogy. That'll, like, cheer me up, right? Like, we don't spend a whole lot of time in the morning going through the genealogies and all these lists of names that we can't pronounce and then close our Bible and be like, mm, thank you, Jesus. That was a sweet time in the Lord right there. No, so, so, so a lot of times when we come across these things, we, we just kind of skim over them, skip over them all together. We're kind of wondering, like, why is that even there? Does anybody read that? Is there really a reason that those are included? Well, let me tell you, uh, the, the, the genealogies in the Bible serve a purpose. They really are. They're going to highlight something. And I think we're actually going to see two things this morning. I, I want to give you... Uh, two humbling and encouraging gospel reminders as we kind of step back and just get a, a big picture on why this is even here. Okay, here's one. Note this. God chooses undeserving people. God chooses undeserving people. Now, let me put this uh, kind of a, a structure of the passage, if you will. I want you to look at this. Verses 10 to 13. Do you see that? Verses 10 to 13, right before the genealogy, this is this section where Moses asks God, he says, How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. I want you to notice that that is repeated again in verses 28 through 30 at the very end of the chapter. He, he basically, in, in, in verse 30, he asks that same question again. Again, but that is not the second time that he's asking the question. It's the same, same time, same event, same conversation. But, but that story, this, this conversation that Moses is having with God is interrupted then with this genealogy, with this family tree. So what that means is that, that, that um, the story of Moses struggling with God's plan uh, kind of forms the framework here, or, or a sandwich, if you will, uh, that, that right in the middle of it is this, this genealogy that kind of helps us, that framework helps us kind of understand what it's doing there. Why, why is it there? What's the purpose? There might be a couple reasons. Here's, here, here's one of the reasons. It's probably there in some ways to create some suspense. 
Okay, so, so, so uh, Moses is supposed to go and he's supposed to talk to Pharaoh and, and God told him that, verse 13, he gave them a charge to bring the people of Israel out of the land. Here's the problem. Moses had already gone in. He already talked to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh didn't like it. Pharaoh kind of got ticked off. He refused to listen. The battle lines were drawn. Shots were fired. And now God's about to throw down in a cosmic battle using the ten plagues. But he's, he's telling Moses, get back in there. I got a job for you to do. Go tell him. And then there's this genealogy. It's almost like a commercial break. Like, like we're about to go to war. And then it just, my, my wife and I have been watching some Hulu lately. It's the worst. You've got commercials. We don't have to deal with that again. Like who wants to do that? And yet this is kind of giving you almost a little break in the action, leaving us hanging and, and wondering what exactly this charge was that God said. What is God about to do? It's kind of leaving us hanging there. But, but I think even more importantly is this. It is uh, the reason that he includes this family tree is because it specifically identifies the main human characters of the story. So the whole point of this is to help you see these guys, specifically Moses and Aaron, these are the guys that are going to stand before Pharaoh and lead uh, the children of Israel. So, okay, so let me put this up on the screen for you because i got a picture. Hopefully this is going to help you out a little bit. I just want you to notice in this uh, that this is just a, a, a partial family tree. Why do I say that? Well, well, it starts with the sons of Jacob at the top. How many sons of Jacob were there? So glad you have our Bible knowledge. We're like, ready. okay, I'm going to try this one more time. How many sons did Jacob have? Twelve. Okay, so how many does it list here? Just look at it. If you look at uh, verse 14, you see first son is Reuben. Verse 15, the second son is Simeon. And then we get to the third son, Levi, in verse 16, and it basically stops there. The, the rest of this genealogy just mainly focuses on Levi's family, and it leaves out uh, Judah and Dan and Joseph and Benjamin and all the rest of those guys. It just kind of zeroes in on this. That's kind of a clue as to what this is doing here. He's highlighting the lineage of the Levites. And you see in the middle of this, this is Levi, and down here are these two guys, Aaron and Moses, right in the middle of it. And then it ends with this guy down in verse 25. His name is Phineas. What, 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 what he's doing here is he is showing you this is the line of the Levites. These are the ones that God is going to use first to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. And then from Aaron's line, he is going to become the line of the priests, the Levitical priests, who are then going to lead God's people into worship. This is what he's trying to highlight for us. But he also includes... Uh, uh, a few other highlights. He, he includes uh, this guy, Korah, over here. That's kind of an interesting one. Uh, he's, he's one of the cousins, right? And, and, and there's some pretty nasty stories in this family tree. And, and Korah, uh, later on, Moses includes him because he's going to, uh, eventually, while they're out in the wilderness, he kind of gets ticked off and tired of Moses being in charge all the time. And so he decides that he's going to lead a rebellion against Moses. And so he gets some people together to, to go and, and stand up and, and, and rebel against Moses. And because he does that, God literally has him stand right in front of his tent and the earth opens up and swallows him up. Like, just crazy stuff that's going on here. Not a great cousin. 
And then you get these guys down here. These are Aaron's sons. Notice uh, the, the, the line of Phineas doesn't go through the firstborn. It goes through the third son because the first two, uh, they're kind of disobedient. Their names are Nahab and, uh, Nadab and Abihu. And in, in Leviticus chapter 10, uh, Leviticus tells us that they didn't exactly worship God rightly. They were the ones that were supposed to be the priests. Uh, but, but the text tells us that instead they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which God had not commanded them. And so in that moment, God lit them up and uh, literally consumed them with fire. Those guys are contrasted in this family tree with this guy, Phineas. I got to tell you about Phineas because this is so cool. I don't know when we would preach on this. But Numbers chapter 25, this is such an awesome story. Right before the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land. They're on the other side of the Jordan River. They're getting ready to go in. And it tells us there that the children of Israel began to whore with the daughters of Moab and started sacrificing and worshiping their false gods. I mean, this is terrible. You're about ready to go in, and they start running after all the other gods. And so God tells them to kill everybody who just did that. Wipe them out. And in the middle of that, right in front of everybody, one guy decides to bring another foreign woman and walks right into his tent, right in direct rebellion, just basically flaunting his sin in God's face. And Phineas stands up and he's like, nah, man, you're not going to sin against God like that. And he picks up a spear, walks right into the guy's tent, and boom, just puts an end to both of them. And there was this plague that was going over the children of Israel because they were sinning against God. And in that moment, God said, Phineas has turned back my wrath because he was jealous for his God and he made atonement for the people of Israel. So what Moses is doing here, he's highlighting, this is the family that God is choosing. This is the family that he is going to use to lead his people out of slavery and into worship. Question is, why? why? Why does God choose them? The answer is, we don't know. There's no obvious reason. I think about this. Remember, you can't see it over here, but Levi, he's, he's not the firstborn. He, he's not Jacob's, neither is Jacob. But, but the firstborn, the firstborn son, I mean, that firstborn son in that culture, that was, that was somebody special. That was somebody dedicated to the Lord. They were the one with the birthright and the, and the privileges went to the firstborn. But, but, but Levi's not the firstborn. And then everything in this story is really going to central, centralize right there on Moses. Notice, he's not the firstborn either. In fact, there's, there's really, uh, there's nothing particularly special about Moses that, that sets him apart from anybody else. God didn't choose and, and take applications for his deliverer and, and, and just choose the best candidate that was out there. He wasn't looking for resumes. He didn't find him on LinkedIn. This is not like dodgeball where he lined them up and a bunch of kids and Moses, he's, he, you know, he looked like he had a, some guns and he could squash a first grader and God's like, I want him on my team. No, that's not what happened. God didn't choose Moses for any reason that he deserved. It's simply his grace. Now, this is a special job. This is a, a, a big job that, that God wants him to do, and there's no reason that Moses should have that. And what I want you to see in that 
is that principle. We see that throughout the rest of Scripture, don't we? That God chooses undeserving people. It is only and it is always because of God's grace. In fact, just to make you feel better about yourself, there was a guy named Paul, and I'm going to put this up here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul just had a really good way of making us feel better about ourselves. Here's what he says. For consider your calling, brothers. Think about where you came from. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. You're like, gee, thanks, Paul. Not many, not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, Paul's not telling you that to insult you. What he's trying to say is this. Why did God choose you? It wasn't because you're the best and the brightest. Like, no offense. Um, but, but if we just kind of think about, based on our, our credentials and our, our pedigree, uh, most of us are not even making the roster, let alone first-team starters, let alone all-stars. If you belong to Jesus, you can have the confidence that God chose you. But it's not because you did anything to catch his attention and impress him. In fact, do you know when God chose you? This will blow you away. Because maybe we think, you know, it was, it was maybe after that, that one day where I did really well and you know, it was like my best moment right there. Maybe that was what did it for him. No, uh, here's what it says, Ephesians chapter 1. Here, here's what Paul tells us. He says, that God chose us in him. When? Before the foundation of the world. And in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. You get that? God chose you before you were even born. You didn't have a best moment yet. Before he even created the world, he chose you. Why? Because apparently this was according to the purpose of his will. He wanted to do this. And it shows off his glorious grace. It's grace. It's always grace. In fact, just to make sure that you got that, in the next chapter, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What that means is God chose you. Before the foundation of the world, he decided he was going to pour his mercy and his love and his grace out on you. And that means he did not look ahead and see which people would choose him and do the right thing, and therefore he chose them. No, it is his election of you, his choice of you, and his salvation has nothing to do with your performance. It's not about what you do. It's only based on what Jesus has done for you. And that just slays our pride, doesn't it? 
Think about that, that God saved me and he gives my life meaning. He gives my life purpose and he wants to use me. I don't deserve that at all. But I think it also encourages us. It, it, it humbles us because, you know, I realize I don't have anything to boast in myself. But I think this doctrine is always meant to be a comfort to believers, just to be this, this reminder, this encouragement that, that God chose me because he loves me. And that's never going to change based on anything I do. I don't have to earn it, and I can't lose it. I just don't deserve that. But he chooses undeserving people. Verse 26 says, just to, like he's just highlighting it here. He's like, these, these are the Aaron and Moses I'm talking about, okay? It was they who spoke to Pharaoh. This Moses, this Aaron. They're just ordinary guys. But God chose them and he used them to stand up to the most powerful king on earth and lead his people out of slavery, which leads us to the second, uh, second reminder here. Here's the second uh, humbling and encouraging gospel reminder for you if you're taking notes. Note this. God uses imperfect people. Praise God for that. you got to remember now, this, this genealogy, this family tree is inserted right in the middle of a conversation that, that Moses is having with God, and he's kind of struggling with God's plan to, to use him and to go in and talk to Pharaoh and lead the, the children of Israel out. I mean, you, you see this back in verse 12. I know we're kind of jumping back and forth, but we're, we're looking at the framework now on the outsides of this genealogy. Here's what he says, verse 12. God looks, he looks at God and he says, Behold, the people of Israel is not listening to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? Like, I'm a man of unclean, un, uncircumcised lips. How's this going to work? And, and, and to some degree, we kind of understand what Moses is saying. It kind of makes a little bit of sense. We're like, God, God, I already did this. I already went. And so far, Pharaoh said, no way. And he got ticked, and he made it harder, and, and he put on more work for the people of Israel. And so now they're mad at me, and, and, and they're kind of ticked off and discouraged. And so I went, and I, I told them the promises that you said, and I was hoping those things were going to encourage them. But even then, they didn't believe. They still wouldn't believe in this because their spirits were just broken. Listen, even the good guys don't believe. Why do you, how, how do you think the bad guy is going to listen then? And he says, I am of uncircumcised lips. Here's Moses just kind of focusing on himself again. And we honestly, we don't really know what he meant by that. Maybe he's talking about a speech problem that he has, or maybe that it's just he feels unfit to really talk in front of Pharaoh. Whatever it means, what is obvious is he's just making an excuse. And we've done this dance before, haven't we? I mean, back in chapter 4, we felt like we went back and forth with God as he's given his commands and his promises. And every time, Moses is just making excuses the whole time. But, but, but this time, verse 13, I love this. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge. That word means just a command. Meaning this time, God just cuts off all the excuses and he's like, Moses, just go. Okay? I mean, how many times has this happened in your house, parents? 
Like, I feel like this happens uh, n- not every day, but there's a lot of days where I'm, uh, I'm trying to tell you what to do, and, and, and uh, I'm trying to be reasonable here, and I'm listening. Uh, I, I know that you have excuses or reasons why you think that you don't need to do this, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to answer your questions. I've given you my reasons, and you still just keep coming back with all of these excuses, and, and, and I don't want to do this, and why, 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 why? Parents, what do we say when our, parent, when our kids are asking why? Because I said so. <laughs> like, eventually, we just kind of get to this point where I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing this whole back and forth thing. I, this is what needs to happen. This is right. I'm not asking you to sin, okay? I'm not asking you to go against God. You are going to do this. Honestly, I feel like God has been really, really patient with Moses up until this point. I mean, if it, if it had been me and Moses started giving his excuses, like the first time, I'd be like, bah, 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 bah. I don't want to hear it. Just do it, okay? Just trust me. I love that that God understands. He knows that we're going to struggle sometimes when he's asked us to do something, and he is so, so patient with us. But God's patience doesn't get us out of the expectation to obey. We've been talking about this the, the last few weeks. We've come in recognizing that, that a lot of us struggle to trust the Lord. Sometimes things are hard, and sometimes things get worse, and, and we don't understand, and, and we've still got questions, and, and, and we don't feel like it. We're, we're, we feel like we're just wrestling with this, but, but God is asking us to trust him, and at the end of the day, we just need to do it. We just need to obey, whether we feel like it or not. What that means is that we're, we're really submitting to him. Submitting to him because I'm, I'm saying, it's not that I'm like, like I, I, I have to feel it first. What I'm saying is, Lord, I don't understand right now, but I'm, I'm going to admit that, that you know better, that, that your ways are right, and I'm going to choose to trust you. That's not what Moses does. It's kind of crazy to me, this, this whole section. And, uh, chapter 6 ends with Moses still questioning and still struggling. The very last verse, verse 30, he repeats the same question. He's like, I can't do this. How, how's Pharaoh going to listen to me? How is this going to work? Are you convinced by now that Moses is not the hero of this story? Like, have you picked up on that so far? Like, remember, Moses is the author. He's the one that's telling us about this. I feel like he has gone out of his way to help us understand. He is not the hero. He, he's admitting that he is not a, a, a take-charge leader with a can-do attitude and confidence in the Lord. I mean, for, for basically three chapters, we've seen him just making excuses and trying to get out of it and, and reluctantly obeying, but whining and complaining about it and questioning God the whole time. I mean, seriously, he can't take any credit for Israel's deliverance. If it was up to him, they'd still be stuck in slavery. He'd be slinking back to take care of the sheep and just, just avoid responsibility, avoid doing anything that was really going to be challenging. I mean, I'd, I'd have fired this guy a long time ago. He is nowhere near the perfect candidate for this job. At some point, we're kind of like, God, don't you think you might want to find somebody else? I mean, this is kind of getting embarrassing. But the whole point, the whole point of this text, the whole point of this genealogy 
is to show us this is the guy. This is the guy God used. Despite his bad attitude, despite his his doubts and his negativity and all of his failures and struggles and imperfections, God still used him to help accomplish the defining act of salvation in the Old Testament. Because God uses imperfect people. And I feel like that ought to be good news for at least a few of us in here today. God wants to use us. He wants to use you. Let's let's zero in on what this means for us, okay? As a believer, you really only have one reason while you're still here on earth. It's to make disciples. And your obedience to that calling brings God glory. That's why we're here. So how are you doing on that? If you're like me, this is a little bit humbling as I was studying through this. If you're like me, you're not always perfect at that and sometimes kind of struggling and, and maybe there's lots of ways that you might be failing to really get after it and accomplish that one job. I thought about what this should look like in my life. Am I doing this? Am I... Am I making disciples with my family? Am I intentionally helping my wife grow as a disciple of Jesus? You're like your marriage is discipleship. Am I leading her in prayer and study of God's word? Ladies, are you making Christ the center of your home? What about my kids? Am I... Am I actually teaching my kids about Jesus? Am I talking about his grace and his love and his, and his righteousness and his wisdom? Am I, or, or am I just basically relying on the kids' ministry and hoping they're going to do that for me? Do they see me opening God's word at home? Am I sharing the gospel? When's the last time I shared the gospel with my neighbor? When's the last time I shared the gospel with anybody in this community? Or, or who's, the, who's the brother in this church that, that I'm just intentionally uh, spending regular time just, just trying to help them grow uh, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, and as a disciple maker? And maybe somebody in my small group, maybe somebody I'm just rubbing shoulders with. Ladies, who's the, who's the sister here that you're pouring into? Discipleship is, is evangelistic, but sometimes it's coming alongside somebody who is a believer and helping them follow Jesus and make disciples too. So the, the real question is, am I, am I being obedient to God's call on my life to make disciples? That's why we're here. And if we're honest, we've all got a million excuses. We're going to probably, we've already proven over and over how badly we fail at this, but if we learn anything from God's choice of Moses, even if and when we struggle and fail, God can still use us. At the end of it all, it's not Moses. 
It's pretty obvious it's not Moses. He doesn't want to do it. But God still uses him. He's the one that accomplishes his purposes. And that's kind of encouragement for us. Because as he's calling us to go out and make disciples, we're like, man, I I can't save anybody, but I don't have to. That's God's work. But he wants to use me. He wants to use you in that. That is an undeserved privilege that he would allow us to be a part of his work here on earth. He's not calling you because you are the perfect man or woman for the job. He's calling you because his power is made perfect in your weakness. Yeah, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle to trust him. You're going to struggle to know what to say. And you might not know which verses to turn to. And and, and you're not always going to feel like it. And and, and probably uh, you're going to have a bad attitude sometimes. You might even wrestle with some doubts. And for sure, you're going to miss some opportunities in this. But praise God, he doesn't just chuck you to the curb when you fail at this. Like, oh, forget you. I'm so tired of dealing with you. He doesn't treat us like that. And he's not scrutinizing your performance, ready to whack you upside the head every time you make a mistake. It it is his grace that he chooses to use imperfect people because he wants to, in his power, work mightily in us and through us for his glory. Man, that ought to encourage us, right? I, I I want you to let grace motivate you towards this, not guilt. It's what God has done for us that we don't deserve. And let his grace humble you and encourage you that he loves you no matter what. And even when you struggle, even when you fail, he's going to use you to help the people around you, whether it's at home, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's at work, he's going to use you to help them follow Jesus too. That's such an undeserved privilege, isn't it? Lord, we praise you that you would choose us. We don't deserve it, but we just, we're so thankful that you love us, that you want to make us more like your son. And God, we want to be faithful to this. And and even in our desire, we're just confessing already, we're going to struggle with that, and and you know that. And and we're we're not always going to feel like it, and, and we're not always going to have a great attitude. And, and, and Lord, to be honest, we're going to get out there, we're going to start trying, and, and, and the words may not come, and I may not know exactly where to turn and, and what to do next. And, and, and Lord, I'm, I'm, we're, we're going to fail. So we're admitting our need for you. And we're just so thankful that we can be a part of your family, that you have adopted us as sons and daughters. And because we're part of your family, that'll never change. You're never going to forsake us. You're never going to leave us. And as you sent us out, you told us to go make disciples of all nations. Lord, I love that promise that you gave at the end, that you are with us always. I pray that you would use that to humble us, to challenge us, to motivate us, And also just encourage us and lift our heads and know we're not doing this alone. I pray that we would live sent so that we make your name famous. We'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name.